HealthWise. Hello everyone, this is Thomas Coyer, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 39 of the HealthWise Report, the audio edition. This is not a normal show. In fact, at the moment I'm flying solo. But don't worry, Sarah will be along shortly. This show breaks from my normal format. It's an interview with Kurt Danish. It was an interview that we made in August of 2011 for our upcoming documentary, Prescription for Manslaughter. It never got finished, and I don't know, frankly, if it ever will, but it may get finished one day, the documentary. If you're interested in it, there are some videos on YouTube about it. The interview we made with Kurt happened while he was in prison. He's still in prison, in fact. He's been there since it's either 1997, 98, I'm not sure. The original crime was committed in 1996. His reason for incarceration is for a series of violent crimes that he committed, culminating eventually with the murder of his own father. And it all happened under the influence of a drug. It was caused by a drug. What makes this case unusual, for some people at least, is that this wasn't a so-called street drug. This was a legal, doctor-prescribed drug. Prozac, to be specific. Many people don't know that the so-called street drugs of today were the pharmaceuticals of yesteryear, and I'm talking about all of them. I mean heroin, marijuana, cocaine. By the way, you can still get cocaine from a pharmacist with the right prescription. It's still in pharmacies. Back when they were doctor-prescribed, they were saying the same things back then that they're saying today, that these drugs won't cause any serious adverse effects, and they certainly won't make you go crazy and do anything violent. Well, we know that's not true, don't we? But we don't know that that's true, or at least a lot of us don't know that that's true for our prescription doctor-prescribed drugs, particularly the psychiatric medications that are, frankly, known to be mind-altering. So it really shouldn't surprise us that they cause sociopathic or psychotic reactions. If you dig deep enough, you'll actually find that in the side effects, in the fine print. Before we get going with our interview, I'd like to give you a short background of what the story is here. Kurt, after he killed his father, he went to court. At the time, the pharmaceutical industry, to be specific, Eli Lilly, the maker of Prozac, got involved with the case and lied about both the court precedents of the past and they lied about the science. 
We also have evidence that they actually covered up their own documents from the time. That was something that was going into the movie we were making. But they got involved, convinced the prosecutor that the whole drug intoxication defense was ridiculous, and I believe at one point they even said it had never been done before, which is just absurd. There have been many, many drug and various other intoxication cases in the court, which actually provided a defense. There were a variety of dirty tricks involved to keep the drugs from going to court, from essentially putting the drug on trial, and dirty tricks to get a confession. The reason, as you'll hear in the interview, is that the court and the sheriff's department were protecting themselves. The big dirty secret here that comes out eventually is that Kurt was originally jailed for a simple trespass offense. That was his first time in jail. What's incredible about that is that he was supposedly trespassing at his own high school. That's a bit like trespassing at your own house. The local cops, they were a little Gestapo-ish. They wanted to get this little punk. Probably had a smart mouth, and if I know Kurt like I think I do, he probably did smart off to him. They brought him in and arrested him. Well, at the time, his sister was going through a major health ordeal, and he had just been arrested. So, naturally, Kurt was depressed, and his first dose of Prozac was given to him by the jail doctor. In fact, the only Prozac he had gotten his hands on was from the jail doctor, and he got on it while in jail, got addicted to it while in jail. This is what led up to the crime. As you can imagine, this was a real problem for the court and the sheriff's department. You see, they're the ones that gave him the drug. They didn't want that getting out. They certainly couldn't have the drug put on trial, because if the drug went on trial, then they went on trial. This is a really dirty story of corruption. Most of you are going to be surprised. You know there's corruption out there. You hear bits and pieces from the news. But this, this is a real-life person. It really happened to Kurt. And you're going to hear Kurt in his own words describing the details. I think it's a riveting story. I do. It's a sad story, a tragic story. We even wanted to make a movie out of it, as I said earlier. Throughout this interview of Kurt, we decided to do very little editing this time, to leave the audio pretty much more or less intact, not to make many changes. This one's different. We're actually interviewing a guy who's in jail for this, for being affected by these psychiatric drugs. And we wanted those sounds to sort of add a genuine authenticity to this show, to take away any sense of fakeness, of plasticity. We want you to know he's still there. He's a real person. And all of this from this story, it really happened. I'm going to get to the show now, and Sarah will be hooking up with me, or at least she's in this interview that follows. Hello. An inmate at a state correctional institution at Frackville. The use of three-way or call waiting will disconnect the call. This call will be recorded and monitored. To accept this call, press 5 now. File 7. Hello? Hi. Hey, how you doing? Hi. Who's this? This is Sarah. Oh, is it? I yeah. I expected more of an accent. <laughs> no, I've lost most of it. I've been here too long. Yeah? Yeah. How you doing? I'm doing all right, thanks. i also got Thomas here on the line. Hey. Okay. How long do we have? Uh, this call will be for 15 minutes, and then it'll hang up. I could call back after the 15 minutes, though. Okay. Shoot. I guess we should go ahead and get business out of the way before we chit-chat, right? I guess. I get Um, okay. Sarah, do you yeah. have the well, list? To start with, can you describe, kind of in your own words, what happened in the events leading up to and right after the murder? 
uh, like directly before? Yeah. The actual shooting or the days or? Um, and and the couple of days leading up to be fine. The couple of days before, I mean, I'd have to start at the the Friday before. Okay. Or the the Saturday is when I took like uh, my last dose. It was on Sunday, so on the weekend I still had two pills left. Mm-hmm. And while I was on the pills, I initially I felt really good. Like I liked the medication. I felt clear. Looking back, it was because I was probably either manic or just uh, stimulated. As soon as the medication ran out, my behavior deteriorated. Like I started getting in fights, arguments. I know I became paranoid at the time. I didn't realize it because I thought what I was feeling was correct. But uh, I got into a fight with my one of my best friends where I physically picked him up and threw him over my back. Uh, the events of the week, it's confusing for me because I remember them, but I don't remember the order they occurred. So I guess the clearest recollection I would have would be the night before the shooting when uh, I got in an argument with my girlfriend. I don't know exactly what we were arguing over, but at one point I spilled a glass of milk. She went upstairs, and I followed her upstairs. I remember I smacked her in the face, and then I ran out of her house, and I was upset, and I was in my truck, and I was crying. And then I parked my truck into a parking lot in a church that was near her house. Mm-hmm. The next thing is I woke up in the morning. I don't recall, like, the night when I fell asleep or anything. And in the morning, I woke up to her brother who stopped at the truck and just said hi to me because he was on his way to walk into school. Mm-hmm. And then I saw my girlfriend. I went up to her, and I uh, told her I was sorry about the night before, and she started crying and was upset, so she went back to her house. And I followed her back to her house, and her stepfather told me that I'd have to move out because I was actually living with her. I was all right. At that point, I understood. I was, like, grabbing my stuff. I was putting it in my truck. And then I just remember losing it. I punched all the windows out of my truck. I threw a toolbox through the windshield of my truck. And then I peeled out of her driveway. And I started driving my truck up and down the road, speeding, turning around in neighbors' front yards, like, with my truck on their yard. At one point, I said to my girlfriend's mom that she should call the cops on me, that there was a crazy guy driving around in the street. And they did, either they did or the neighbors called the cops. I don't remember which. Before the cop came up, I ran over a street sign on my truck, which disabled my truck, and I had to pull it over on the side of the road. So I just sat on the curb, and uh, the cop showed up. The cop said to me that uh, something like he could arrest me, but he was going to let me go because my girlfriend's parents said they didn't want me arrested. So I remember sitting in my truck. I didn't know where to go, so I went, uh, walked on top of the Nicholson Bridge, which is a large bridge. Which First call is from the State Correctional Institution at Frackville and is subject to monitoring and recording. The, the bridge actually goes over the entire town. It's like a really large viaduct. And uh, I remember on top of the bridge, I was thinking about jumping off of the bridge and I threw a soda bottle off of the bridge the bridge is over 300 feet tall so there was no doubt like it it would kill me I should know but I threw the bottle off the bridge and it hit the grass and it didn't break so in my mind at that time I thought it wouldn't kill me my girlfriend's little brother he came up on the bridge he was 14 at the time and he was just talking to me and uh, I don't remember what we were talking about but we decided to walk off the bridge and I remember at one point we're walking down the street and I just told him I'm going this way. And I ended up walking toward my father's house. 
the first place I went to, though, was my uh, friend's house. Me and him used to smoke weed together, and at the time, I was looking for weed because I wanted something to calm down. So I went to his house. He wasn't home, but I let myself in, which I'd done before over his house. And I was looking for weed in his house, and I came upon a gun he had under his pillow. And I still to this day, I don't know why I grabbed the gun. I know I thought about using it to kill myself, but I put it in my backpack. And then uh, I remember I sat there. I remember my memory's clouded. Like, I remember pieces of it. I don't remember the whole incident, but I remember I was petting his dog for a while. And then I just left his house, and I started walking toward my dad's house. And the walk lasted like eight miles, but I remember like maybe a total of two minutes of the walk. I remember walking down the street and an old man waving to me. And at one point I was walking over a hill and there was a, a large tree, like a tree with no branches. And I remember I dropped to the ground like it scared me. I thought it was a person or something. The next time I remember I was like at my driveway leading to my house and I walked up the hill and my dad was at the front yard. He was planting a tree. And uh, I remember it was just small talk. I, I, don't, I don't know if he and... He didn't ask, like, why I didn't drive a truck, because I usually would drive my truck there. I just walked up the hill. And uh, we started talking about a court hearing I had on that Friday. And he was telling me that it was postponed, but I knew the hearing was for that Friday, which would have been the uh, next day, because I believe this was a Thursday. So he told me he had the paper saying it was postponed inside, so we went inside the house to look for the paper. And in the house, I my recollection is really cloudy. I remember... The whole incident, it was it was literally, and it sounds cliche, but it was like watching it from the back of my head, like mm-hmm. that I wasn't a part of it. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking for the paper with him. And I remember at one point we were looking in the, the area where we thought the paper would be, and he seemed like really, really tall to me. And then we couldn't find the paper, so I said that I was going to leave. And I remember I was walking out the door when he said, well, hold on, let me look in this basket. And there was a basket by the TV. And I remember him, I don't remember walking back in the door, but I remember him leaning down to look at the basket. And the the very next recollection I have is the sound of the gun. I don't remember pulling the gun out. I don't remember pointing the gun or aiming it or anything. Yeah. And my next <clears throat> recollection is just me repeating, oh my God, what have I done? Oh my God, what have I done? And I had to say it like 40 times. And then uh, my only... Excuse me? I'm sorry, I had a question for you, Kurt. Yeah. Um, if I remember correctly, at the time of the crime, you had actually stopped the drug and were going through a so-called discontinuation syndrome phase afterwards. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. Okay. So when you stopped the medicine, did, did you realize something was wrong with it? Why'd with, you stop? With me or with the... Well, I, I ran out of the drug. I was prescribed it. Okay, And so the you, doses they gave me... I uh, wasn't, like, seeing a psychiatrist. It was a general practitioner uh, that gave it to me. Okay. So I only had four pills. And when okay, I so, ran out, I just didn't have it. Uh, I see. So while on the medication, you didn't know anything was wrong or dangerous well, about it? At first, I, I mean, I really liked the effect of the drug. It, it, mm-hmm. it made me feel clear and crisp. <laughs> but mm-hmm. after about a week of the drug... Mm-hmm. It was more of a, I can't sleep. I remember staying up all night, just looking into a, like a, a mirror, writing letters. I wrote my letters to myself. I wrote like three suicide letters. 
while I was on the drug. It, it, so, it was definitely not a good feeling after that. Mm -hmm. But in a weird thing, I thought I was getting better. <laughs> I thought it would be worse if I stopped taking the drug. Yeah. That's pretty common with both legal and illegal drugs. While you're on it, you feel everything's fine, regardless of what's really happening around you. Yeah. Like, like I look back now, and I mean, it was clear the, the behavior I was having. But at the time, you couldn't have convinced me that I was yeah. wrong or that the circumstances weren't real, but I was thinking. Yeah. Well, didn't your dad, like, have a restraining order against you at the time, which to me indicates you were kind of psycho? Well, yeah, he did have a PFA. The PFA was from an incident of over six months before it. Okay. I was in the county jail when I was prescribed the Prozac. And I, I was in the jail for about two weeks when I got served with the PFA papers. So, so the state... The state actually prescribed you the drug. Oh, yeah. I was in the county jail for an unpaid um, trespass charge. I went to my old high school to pick yeah. up a friend, and I didn't have $300 to pay the fine, so they put me in it. At the time, my sister was in a car accident where she almost died. She had a brain damage. Uh -huh. We didn't know if she was ever going to be all right. So I told the doctor I was depressed. His solution was, here's Prozac. And there was no psychological evaluation anything. I'd never taken any drug like that. But I was also a street drug user. You know, I smoked weed, so to me it was, here's something that's going to make me feel better. There's something terribly troubling about passing out mind-altering drugs to prison inmates like candy. Oh, um, yeah, and being in state prison, I see it every day. I mean, it's a, it's a common trend now. Can you say no? Do they let you say, no, I, I don't want to take this? Um, you can, but you can also be disciplined for not taking the medication. In my situation, I made it clear to them that I'm not going to take any drugs. So their uh -huh. solution was to, to give me a single cell to not have me around anybody. But there's many men here that they're forced to take the medication or they're going to get written up. What does that mean exactly? What kind of trouble does that mean for them? Uh, you get a misconduct for refusing to obey an order. And mm -hmm. it could be anything from being restricted to your cell or going to solitary confinement. Solitary can be quite harsh. Especially oh, yeah, the hole. That's what we call it, the hole here. I did, uh, so, I did was two months straight in the hole. Mm -hmm. so, so inmates are being pressured to take psychiatric drugs against their will in many cases. Yeah, there are a lot of people that take them against their will. Unfortunately, there's many more that use them just as they do street drugs. Yeah. Just that the state is more than willing to comply and give them anything they want. Anything that makes you a little happier while you're passing the time, I guess, is welcome, right? Especially when you are in the hole. That's where most people get hooked on the drugs, because they'll do anything just to get through the day. It's mentally torturous to be alone in the cell. So yeah. if they'll give you a drug that helps you sleep or makes you numb, people willingly take it. It's just uh -huh. when they come out of the hole, they can't stop taking it. So in other words, you go into solitary for not taking the drug, and then by being in solitary for an extended period, they use that to force you to take it. It's your way out. Well, definitely. And there's other people that go the whole for other <clears throat> disciplinary problems mm -hmm. and then end up taking psychiatric meds. If you don't have a mental health history before you come to jail, you surely will have one when you leave. I mean, mm -hmm. just about everyone that leaves here has some kind of psychiatric history all of a sudden so they can be prescribed drugs. Interesting. Sad, too. Very sad. Yeah. It's a form of behavior modification is what it is. Yeah. You know, inmates on psychiatric drugs are easier to control than ones that mm. don't take it. It's about that on the outside, too. The Like for these drugs and the so-called new disorders like ADD. and the State Correctional Institution at Frackville and is subject okay. to monitoring and recording. Okay. We just got the uh, voiceover there. 
from the yeah. phone system. Um, but on the outside, if you look where these these mind-altering drugs are being prescribed the most, they're they're for these like made-up conditions like ADD and ODD and so forth. And who it's given to are people who aren't given any informed consent about the matter. It's given to children and the elderly in rest homes. Yes, we have one minute left. Okay. Do you well, want me to call back? What do you think, Sarah? I'd be happy to talk to him some more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that'd be great. All right, we'll, we'll let the minute we'll let the minute run out, and then I'll call back. Sure. Okay, we have um, a minute left. Okay. Well, just, just, yeah, ahead. just go ahead and throw the topic at him so he can think about it between now and the next call. So know? I was gonna, I was gonna ask you when you first knew that the drug was involved in your personal case. Yeah, Thirty yeah, seconds remaining. Yeah, we'll just when hang. Yeah, that's something to okay. think about. You know, when did you know there yeah, was a I'll, problem? Um, well, it was gonna hang up before I can answer that. So I'll, yeah. I'll call right back and I'll, I'll give you an answer on that. Sure okay. thing, okay. sir. All right, all right, we'll do all right guys. Bye. Catch you soon. An inmate at a state correctional institution at Frackville. The use of three-way or a call waiting will disconnect the call. This call will be recorded and monitored. To accept this call, press 5 now. Dial 6 or hang up. Hello? Hey. Hey. (laughs) What was the question I said exactly? When did you first know that the joke was was involved in your case? Um, well, it's hard to understand exactly when because when I first got arrested like I, I explained it to my judge it, it was like waking up from one nightmare and getting into another one so initially I didn't understand like why it happened I didn't even care why it happened but I'd say first was about a week after the crime I, I, I connected it really because for the first week I was on suicide watch and I was uh, they put me in a cell in a bare cell with a sheet. That was all I had. Because the first thing I did in jail was I lit my cell on fire the first morning I woke up. And as I sat there, and I mean, I really started wondering why this happened, and I talked to my mother. And it, it was at that time where I started thinking about the whole week that I really started to think that the medication. But the week I was out before the shooting happened, we knew that there was a change in my behavior, my girlfriend's parents and me and my girlfriend. And we attributed it to me, to the medication, but our mind was, well, the medication stopped, so it'll just stop. You know, we thought it was from the medication. We didn't ever consider the withdrawal. So I'd say about a week before I really, like, came through enough to even even think about it, you know, if yeah. that makes any sense. I just didn't care, like, for the first few days in jail. My whole mind was, I just wanted to die. I mean, that was the only thought I had. You were still going through the, uh, the suicidal phase, which was caused by the withdrawal. Basically. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely there. Plus, like I said, it, it, it's not just that. I mean, the trauma of what had occurred yeah. was coming on top of the, the, the medication influence. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I really can't even explain. I mean, I, I know that was the closest I ever came to just total insanity, like not being there. Yeah. Had you ever been suicidal prior to Prozac? Um, I wouldn't say seriously suicidal, you know, mm-hmm. as a teenager dramatics, you know, maybe, uh-huh. but I've never, I've never attempted, like, a serious attempt of suicide yeah. prior yeah. to Prozac. Okay, so... I, I did, I did attempt to cut my arm while I was in jail on the Prozac before the shooting. That okay. was, like, the first real attempt. Yeah, so basically, prior to the Prozac, you just went through the ups and downs that a typical hormonal teenage boy would go through. Exactly, yeah. I mean, at the time, it was, you know, the end of the world, but I think every teenager goes through that. Yes. 
Um, while while going through the the process of the judicial system, did you notice any obstruction by Big Pharma or the court itself in relation to the drugs? Was anybody trying to shut that up, silence that? That well, as looking a fact- back now, looking back now, definitely. At the time, I was naive. I mean, I trusted my attorneys, but you know, I wasn't even aware that Kozak had offered to assist the prosecutor's office in my case. Mm. And I, I wasn't conscious to know that the county was attempting to avoid liability through vigorously prosecuting me because it was actually the county that had prescribed it. I was naive to the fact that there was any liability on their end for so, not giving a psychological evaluation. Okay. So since the uh, prison doctor had, had prescribed the Prozac to you, they saw it as a big liability if you got out of your charges. I Looking back now, I definitely think that. Not only the prescription, but when I left the jail... They handed me a guard, not even the medical staff, handed me four Prozac pills in a Ziploc bag. You know, that was the totality of my aftercare. I wasn't warned of any side effects ever or anything. Mm-hmm. So. And um, I-, I take it they didn't give you any way to get a refill. They had you wanted a refill? Oh, uh, no. And when I was out, in fact, uh, I called the welfare office mm-hmm. because, you know, I asked them. I was trying to get on medical, anything I could. And they said that an 18-year-old male who owned a vehicle, I would didn't qualify for any of it. So there was no access to any kind of medical afterward. I see. I see. So they basically forced you into discontinuation syndrome. Oh yeah, I had no no way to refill it. I, I, I was I didn't even understand at the time that there was a, a dependence that would build on the drug. You know, I, don't know. I thought I would just stop taking it. Like I, I took. This call was from the State Correctional <laughs> Institution at Frackville and is subject to monitoring and recording. The only right. prior drugs I'd ever taken was aspirin and antibiotics. So. Yeah, I'm really interested in hearing anything you could tell us about the obstruction of the uh, drugs in the case. How did you know that? Like for instance, uh, how did you hear about the pharmaceutical company trying to get involved? I think the first time I really became aware of that was after my conviction. I was going through, you know, sitting in jail going through my legal work, and I came across a police report. And apparently after I confessed to the crime and described my, you know, how the Prozac had been affecting me, the police called the Eli Lilly and told them that there's a young man here who killed his father, who had been on your drug, who said that the drug had caused him to become violent in the week leading up to it. And the drug company said Prozac and this is a quote, would not cause aggressive behavior. And then they offered to provide expert witnesses who could testify to that. And when I found that report, that was the first time I became aware of it. So, so the prosecution in your case decided that the objective source of information to determine your guilt was to call the drug company. Um, excuse me? I didn't follow uh, that 100%. They, they, okay, so the prosecution decided to get its information from the drug company instead of going to an independent third party, a researcher. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that was the first place they went. My defense attorney, to his credit, he did ask for a psychopharmacologist for our our side, and the court denied it. But the prosecution was granted one. So we were attempting to put a defense up with no expert against the prosecutor's office that did have an expert. Mm -hmm. Had I been in your situation myself... I would have wanted to take the stand. I mean, if they were denying expert witnesses and so forth, I would be like, that's my way to get this info to the jury, get them asking questions. But I guess you didn't realize it until it was all over with, did you? Well, the problem, too, at that time is 
everybody, including my own attorney, was saying there's no evidence to link this drug to violence. You know, in 1996, it was a different world. I mean, yeah. nobody believed this drug could cause violence. And at that point, so I was trying to commit suicide by court. I told them I would have pled guilty if they would give me the death penalty. Like, that was my mindset at the time. I just, I didn't see a future at all. Mm-hmm. So, but, I mean, even my own attorneys were telling me there was no chance. So, uh, I'm sure that was affected yeah. by the fact yeah. that I had no expert. <laughs> yeah. I'm not knocking you at all. I'm just trying to imagine yeah. if I were in this situation and so forth. Please check us out and read our reports at the HealthWise Report website. You can find us on the internet at healthwise.org. Take special note that WISE is spelt W-Y-Z-E. We spell it W-Y-Z-E to emphasize wisdom. We are a not-for-profit organization, although we are not registered with any governmental agency. Nevertheless, we are a not-for-profit organization, so we always need donors to help us to continue our work whether it be the equipment for these radio shows, our website and network infrastructure, various fees for our movie productions, and of course, the occasional video game to help us maintain our sanity through it all. You can also support us by visiting our online store. That can also be found at healthwise.org. And again, WISE is spelt W-Y-Z-E. We have to be careful about what claims we make about our products, including claims that can be verified because we know of at least one governmental agency that would love to shut us down. We can tell you that our colloidal copper lotion has qualities that cannot be found in any other lotion sold. So if you have joint or skin problems of any kind, we recommend that you check out our lotion. You can also find our book, Defy Your Doctor and Be Healed, which contains our best work, condensed and re-edited into a nearly 600-page encyclopedia. It is the do-it-yourself guide to health, and it makes a fantastic gift. We also sell the HealthWise Antiperspirant, which is truly aluminum and petroleum-free. We would not use anything else ourselves, because the competing products are atrocious, including the supposedly natural products. Thanks for listening to this. We'll get back to the show now. What was it that actually made you enter a guilty plea rather than, you know, trying to fight it on any grounds? That was 100% influenced from my attorney, he told me that they wanted to offer 20 to 40 years for third-degree murder, and I flatly refused. He said he wanted to come to the jail to discuss it with me, and his discussion ended up him leaving me in a room with the crime scene photographs. And after he returned to the room, you know, I mean, I was crying hysterically. It'd be the first time I'd ever seen those photographs. And he told me that if I... call is from the State Correctional Institution at Blackville and is subject to monitoring and recording. He told me if I didn't plead guilty that my family would have to relive the horror by seeing the photographs at trial. So in that state, I said, all right, I'll plead guilty. Within 30 minutes, I was driven to the courthouse to enter the guilty plea. You're going after one of the pharmaceutical companies, aren't you? Yeah, Trying I to? filed a lawsuit this year. So okay. I don't know what the chances are, but... Again, this might be for the movie, and, and I assume we have your permission to use this audio, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, excellent. Let's just pretend like we know nothing. We're the audience watching the movie. Tell us, why are you going after them? Under what grounds and so forth? Well, for the lawsuit, what I'm saying is I discovered documents from 1988 that prove Eli Lilly knew their drug could cause violence. They never let the public know or the prescribing doctors know of this risk. In fact, they denied the risk. So in my eyes, the company's liable for that failure to warn. 
mm-hmm. and I look at it, even if the doctor would have prescribed it to me despite the risk in 1996, when I started exhibiting the violent behavior leading up to it, we could have discontinued treatment and sought the advice of a doctor, mm-hmm. where because they hid the risk, that didn't happen. We have evidence now that not only did they conceal it, but they actually hid the information. They, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, they actively hid it. They advised um, the, I don't know what the job title was, but the people that list the side effects, and they would actually minimize the risk. If someone complained of suicide, they would list it as depression. If someone complained mm-hmm. of violence, they would list it as uh, aggression or, you know, try to diminish the effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, playing uh, Orwellian word games in their documents. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the other parts of the lawsuit is the fact that a subpopulation of people can't metabolize these drugs, and they're called poor metabolizers. The drug company knows that these people exist, but they don't warn it on the label. You know, And these people that have this deficiency, they can be tested, and once they get the positive result, people know, don't give this person that drug. However, they don't warn, and it just so happens that I happen to be one of those people. So in 96, if we knew this, I could have been tested and never been given the drug to start with. Can you tell us what a poor metabolizer is for the purpose of the movie? Excuse me? Can you um, clarify what a poor metabolizer is for the purpose of the movie? Yeah, uh, my understanding of a poor metabolizer is there's a certain liver enzyme, I believe it's CYP450, and this drug is used to metabolize the active ingredient in SSRI antidepressants. Some people lack this uh, enzyme. Without it, you can't break down the drug's active ingredient. So where you take one pill, you can have up to a 15-fold increase of the drug. In other words, if you're taking 10 milligrams, you may, it's like taking 150 milligrams of the drug. So you end up overdosing on the ingredient, which increases the risk of drug-induced side effects, which can include suicide or violence. Okay, thanks. Okay, so, so what happens is, is, is since the drug is not essentially digested properly, not used by the body properly, it accumulates in ever-increasing amounts for as long as you're on the drug, until you're taking exactly. extremely, extremely excessive amounts of it, right? Exactly. Can you um, tell us about the SAVE project? Well, the SAVE project was just my attempt to first warn the public about the dangers of antidepressants, and secondly, help the people that are in situations similar to my own or people who've had a loved one that killed themselves on the drug. The main way of helping these people is just sharing with them information that's out there but most people aren't aware of. Uh, I started in 2005 as a reaction to the death of uh, Christopher Brockman, mm-hmm. who was a kid. He was 16 years old when he committed a violent crime in Texas on Zoloft, I believe. And he was sentenced to 80 years in an adult prison. He ended up killing himself on January 5th, 2005, and I corresponded with him and his mother before his suicide. And when he died, it just really hit me that, needlessly, someone died at his hands, and then he ended up dying in prison. So it just motivated me to share the information. A lot of people are going to be watching this movie. Is there anything that that you have that you just want to say that, like, you're given a podium here, and maybe we can work it in somehow? Anything in particular? Um, I mean, I don't know. There's so much that I want people to know about these drugs. Yeah. I mean, there, there's also personal things, like, to me, like, the biggest thing is this, is it's caused the rift in my family, mm-hmm. you know, and I understand how they feel. Yeah. You know, I want more than anything to have my family back, 
but I understand their feelings. And it's not that this drug company didn't just take my father's life, you know, it destroyed an entire family. And, I mean, that's just the main thing about these drugs is they're just too dangerous to keep on the market. I don't care if they're marginally better than the other antidepressants out there. There's other treatments. 60 seconds remaining. There's other treatments that people can utilize. Yeah. Yeah. What was that clicking, Sarah? Were you doing something over there? No, there's only 60 seconds remaining. It was just a recording, I think. No, no, no. I heard yeah. clicking. Like, oh. they like record that. the calls, too. There might oh. be a click on this end. Okay. Well, I guess we're pretty much done with the official questions. Uh, Kurt, you're welcome to call us back. You know, I mean, if you just feel like chatting, we'll be happy to chat with you. We're, you know. Do you want me to call back now? or? That's 30 seconds remaining. That's up to you. Totally up to you, Kurt. Totally up yeah, to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. We're I'll give here. You a call back. Yeah, we're here anytime you want to chat, including now. Yeah, you feel like it? Do you want me to call back now, or do you want me to wait another time? It's up to you. Oh, we don't care, Kurt. We're here. Um, go ahead and call if you feel like it, or you can wait. It, you know. All right. Well, I'll give you guys a call right back because the guard on right now is really fair to let me make another call at this time. <laughs> All right, All sure. Right. Okay. Sure thing, Kurt. All right. Sure. All right. We'll I'll give you a call right back. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. Kurt Danish. Uh-huh. An inmate at a state correctional institution at Frackville. The use of three-way or call waiting will disconnect the call. <laughs> this call will be recorded and monitored. To accept this call, press 5 now. Dial 7 or hang up. Flying this. Hey, Kurt. Yeah. Hey, um, I didn't catch it. Do we pronounce your name Danish or Danish? Uh, Danish, like Spanish. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we oh uh, we gosh. had it Danish originally, and then we started watching the news reports from the time, you know, of the crime. Yeah. And they were all pronouncing your name Danish. Yeah, everybody does. I've never had anyone pronounce it the correct way. <laughs> I answer to both. So. Well, we did. And then we heard the news reports, and we went back and spent like two days redoing all the audio to say Danish. Oh. So we're going to have to go back and do it all over again. Right. <laughs> To me, it doesn't make a difference, you know what I mean? But yeah. uh, Did you get the news reports? Was that received right? You got um, them from Nightgale and uh, Gabriel? We got them from Nightgale, like, immediately. Gabriel uh, is, uh, I, Sarah's not going to be nice. She's going to be nice. I'm going to tell you how to do this, okay? Gabriel uh, put up a lot of resistance, okay? We had to basically harass him like a freaking bill collector before we got anything. And when he finally sent it... He sent yeah. it in a format that he thought we couldn't extract it from, in some non-standard video format. Um, and so, for some reason, he's, like, trying to be um, not helpful. But, uh, fortunately, yeah. we have the software and tools and knowledge we need to extract the video despite him. And we did. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, it's, I, I met Gabriel once he came up for a visit. Mm-hmm. And he, he offered to do the website. You know, I don't know him personally. He just yeah. came out of the blue, which was a blessing at the time. Yeah. He offered to do a website for my case, and then he offer, also offered to save. So. Yeah. It, it it the way he's acting doesn't make any sense at all. Um, I know he does video work too, and he's actually yeah. he's actually advertising his video stuff on your save project. I'm not kidding. But um, he yeah. does video work too, and the only thing that really makes sense to us that we can figure out is that he's a little jealous that we're going to steal his thunder here. We're going to get all the. Yeah, which- that doesn't make any sense to me because publicity is good for all around, you know what I mean? For the case. Yeah. You ain't jumping on anything coming. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I mean, the only, otherwise there's no logic to it if he's not trying to be a glory hound or something. Yeah. Well, 
in any case, we did uh, we did get the footage. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know Nikel told me she sent it. Yeah. I, I understand that she wanted my permission because mm. she's suspicious of people. Let's just yeah. say sometimes, you know. Yeah. But, um. Did you get through to the new attorney you talked about? Um, well, we, when we called them again, well, well first of all, we called the one that you, that you told us to call, and they said yeah. to call Walter, yeah. um, or Walker, and we did that, and then they said that they weren't your lawyer, um, yeah. so now I'm not sure who's your lawyer. Yeah, no, me neither, unfortunately, because <laughs> I've been writing uh, Batorek and I got no response. I actually filed a motion for him to be removed. Because he wouldn't file the brief I'd sent him. Well, he said. Go ahead. Sorry, he said that um, that the reason was because of a conflict of interest, so they decided to pass you on to a different lawyer. That's what he told us. I don't. I don't know what the conflict would be unless it was that my motion got granted. But that wouldn't be a conflict. That would just be him being removed. So I'm not really sure either. I haven't heard anything from the court yet. But they did accept my, or at least my pro se brief was filed. So at least the information got to the judge. But mm-hmm. uh, my belief is that that civil article really uh, might have swayed leg a little bit. The DA gotcha made him backpedal a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do you think that if do you think that if we called and spoke to leg, you think that would help or hurt? I'm not really sure. Like I don't know what it was about the civil that upset him. Whether it was the publicity or if he sees my suing them as like um, diminishing my responsibility, maybe. I, I don't know his exact. Mm. I know at the initial conference we had with him, he was very supportive. He said it was unfair, the evidence wasn't presented previously. So, I mean, I left that feeling great. And the only thing that changed, and it changed the exact moment, was when that civil uh, article got printed. So you think he's aggressive now, again? I don't know about aggressive. He argued that there wasn't jurisdiction, which was the main thing we were waiting to convince the judge there was jurisdiction. He, the law says there is, but he argued against it. So, I don't know. I really can't say for certain what it was or how he feels 100%. Would you say that given history and all, that publicity would hurt? Um, I don't know. The one thing that concerns me right now is it's an election year for him. <laughs> so, I don't know how well it would look for his election bid to, in the public's eye, let a killer go, which it might be viewed as. But, of course, if we call him doing a documentary about this, he could be very friendly with us this time. Yeah, I mean, there's two ways it could go. It could actually make him go, well, here's more spotlight on the fact that he shouldn't be in jail, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's not that he shouldn't be in jail. Like, I think he finally understood that at the conference. I'm not asking, you know, to be acquitted of the charge. I'm just saying the punishment's more than enough already, you know? Mm-hmm. So. But but here's here's the rich thing, Kurt. We looked, Leg sent us a packet, a ginormous packet of information. Okay, let me hold on. He sent us a tremendous packet, which really surprised us that he'd sent us all that information just for asking. Yeah. And in that packet, there was a doctor's evaluation of you. In that evaluation, the doctor spelled out that you were not responsible for your actions at the time, that you were was due to the effect of the medication. And he described a whole set of problems you were having, which would have easily qualified you as being insane at the time of the killing. Yeah. And yet, after going through all of this, 
then he said, I still recommend that the prosecution proceed. Yeah. Well, he wasn't the actual prosecutor at the time, but he, he's actually new to the county. Yeah. The other guy wanted me dead with the death penalty. But <laughs> yeah. What I'm saying is the doctor evaluated you and evaluated you yeah. as insane and irresponsible for your actions and then encouraged them to go ahead and try you anyway. Yeah, and there was another doctor who said the medication could have had no effect, particularly because I stopped taking it. You know, he was like totally ignorant to the withdrawal effects of it. Mm -hmm. We also found that this same doctor is part of a network of, quote, expert witnesses that are like yeah. hired guns for Big Pharma. Um, we, was we that um, D.G. Akimo? I don't think so. Or was um, Glass? No, was Glass. 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 Yeah. I, I tried to write to Glass, too, after I was convicted. Mm -hmm. And at first he said for $1,000 he'd review the case again. But then when he found out what exactly I was trying to say, mm -hmm. uh, I have a letter from him where he, he just slams and he says, I would no support you because you have no understanding of these drugs. And everyone that supports you is, like, insane, pretty much, is what he said. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I could send you a copy of that letter. But it was obvious at that point he was pro-pharma. We tried to document that. We wanted to put that in the movie, but the trail sort of ends because he's it was linked through all these websites that, that have their information that companies can contact them through. And when yeah. we tried to trace the websites down, they're all under they're all using companies that hide the information that's yeah. normally available for a website. Would you be interested in seeing the letter that he wrote regarding the? I don't know. To be honest with you, oh shoot! To be honest with you, Kurt, I'm not. It doesn't sound like that letter would be any good to us. What do you think, Sarah? Oh, okay. Not the case of the movie, not really. Yeah. Okay. I'd find it personal interest, but you know. But yeah. Um, yeah. Did you receive the autopsy report I sent you regarding uh, <clears throat> that Clay Allen Duke from Florida? I don't uh, know if it arrived here yet. No. The guy that took the school board hostage in Florida. No. And he put the the V for uh, Vendetta spray painted on the wall before. Yeah, I know who, you, who you're talking yeah. about, but I, I don't receive well, the autopsy. Yeah, I sent it. I just received it. He was on Selexa, and his autopsy report showed it. That's on YouTube. Whenever Sarah. I see it. Yes, it is. They actually have the video online of that. Mm-hmm. Sorry. What's that? They actually have a video of that of that online of, of that. the shooting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he ended up killing himself. They shot him three times, and then he shot himself in the head. I could tell by the way he was acting, he seemed to be under the effect of something. Uh -huh. so whenever I see a case like that, I write and get the autopsy reports and mm -hmm. figure out if they were on the drug. Yeah. Well, all the all these supposedly horrible street drugs, and, and some of them really are, you know, yeah. they all got started by doctors prescribing them. They're, they're all from pharma. You know, yeah, people ecstasy. think... Yep. All of them. I mean, you're talking yep. heroin, cocaine, um, morphine, amphetamines, pretty much everything. These were yep. prescribed. And usually, and many of them still are. Cocaine is still prescribed to people. <laughs> you can still get it, yeah. And um, they there's, don't. There's a big move right. Or, sorry, there's a big move in Pennsylvania right now to outlaw these bath salts because yeah. they were connected to a couple of salts. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, well, you have solid proof that the antidepressants have caused murder. And you allow them to stay on the market like it's no big deal, but you want to make bath salts illegal. Mm -hmm. It's like a double standard. Yeah, it's all about the profit. I'm really hoping that this petition I'm going to follow the FDA, hopefully this year, pushes them to, to add another warning, like a black box warning specifically for homicidality, mm -hmm. because they, they acted on it for suicide in 04. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can be sure they're not going to do the right thing because it's the right thing. It's going to be because there's enough yeah. heat, heat on them. Well, that's what I'm hoping, too, is once it's done, 
just to somehow gain publicity for it. Mm. But, I don't know. <sighs> I want to say, I really appreciate you guys doing this movie. I mean, I know you're not just doing it for me because there's a lot of other cases mm. out there, but I really think it's going to be a good tool for yeah. well, you're people go- up. You're going to be our poster board. Our po- a poster boy, you're leading off the movie for like the first five to ten minutes. Okay. So you will find it very interesting. Yeah, and like I said, it, hopefully it'll be able to be sent here so I can actually view it. Yeah, we'll be That's sending. Rare. Yeah, we'll we'll send that and a copy of the council report and and some letter like the one that you described. What I'm worried about is is when the staff when the staff sees that you're in the movie, will they try to pull it for that reason? I don't think so, because the Citizens Commission on Human Rights, they sent a few here, like, prescription for suicide and a bunch of videos and that, and they let them in. I mean, I don't know. Mm. I wouldn't necessarily bring to their attention that <laughs> Yeah, that you're in it? I don't know how much they'll... Yeah. But they've been real supportive. I mean, the prison staff here has been real supportive of my case. Mm-hmm. When Oprah wanted to interview me in 05, the jail wanted it to happen, but the prison system wouldn't allow it, so... Yeah, yeah, and one thing we find troubling is in yours and in other prisons, um, we we've, we really ran into this in South Carolina, um, they they go ballistic when you tell them you're reporters. Yeah. They're like, no, no, you're not coming. <laughs> yeah, these walls keep the public out just as much as it keeps us in. And we find that like very it's fishy. It's like, it's like, what are they trying to hide? A lot. <laughs> prison's insane. I mean, if people in society knew what went on in here, they would shut prisons down. And that's why they don't want anyone to know. It's yeah. it's, it's an insane asylum. That's yeah. bottom line what it is. Yeah. In the case of South Carolina, we've actually got, and we're not, not, not kidding, we've actually got a spy pin, which is like something off of James Bond. And yeah. you can put it in your pocket and it takes perfect video and audio. But it looks like a regular pin. Yeah. And we we, yeah. cons- we considered in infiltrating South Carolina, but uh, for the case of Chris Pittman, but uh, the, the Pittman people are, are basically non-cooperative, and that makes no sense to us. It's like everybody. Now, pl- that's a weird. That's a weird crowd. I've written repeatedly to him and people in his corner, mm-hmm. and it's like you said. It's almost like they have this protective barrier. Like I mean, when Victory was doing his defense, I was writing to him, and I was. I mean, I was warning him that this guy's screwing him. Mm-hmm. Vickery just sold him down the river, and the kid's going to end up doing 20, 15 extra years because of that attorney. It's, it's just sad. Yeah. But Chris never got involved in his own case, and I think that's what really hurt him. Yeah. Well, they, they, At 12 years old, you can't expect him to, so. Well, well, he was, wasn't he 15? No, he was 12 when he committed the crime. Yeah, yeah, he but was, he, uh, that... he was 16, yeah, when he went to trial. But by that time, he was in juvie for all them years, and... Yeah, it, it, it's it's a weird process when you're facing a trial. Like you go into this denial mode, and you don't even really appreciate what's going on or the seriousness of it or anything. Mm-hmm. Well, it, to us, it appears though that they kept him. They actually kept him in the local jail until he was old enough to, you know, work a jury with him. That they they couldn't send a, a, a kid. In f- yeah, they wanted a six foot uh, teenager in front of him instead of a twelve year old kid. Yeah. And that was a good ploy from the prosecutor, I mean, yeah. good attorney. <laughs> yeah. But again, Vickery should have demanded the speedy trial. I think we're about to get cut off again, but um, you're free to call us yeah. back. I mean, we're here for you. Well, yeah, i got to go now because of the shower, but uh, I'll give All you right. guys a call in a few days. Uh, were you guys affected by the hurricanes? I meant to ask. Uh, we were, or the tornadoes, I mean? <laughs> no, no. Um, it's been no, nice. Good, good. I was worried. I saw on TV a lot of devastation in that area. 
Yeah. Well, if you can't get in touch with us, don't worry about it. Odds are it's the phones we're taking out, the phone lines, not us. You know, most likely. Okay. Uh, All right, and if you if you guys are busy when I call, just don't answer it, and I'll try again another time. Sure, okay. sounds okay. sounds good. Sounds good, Kurt. All right, and thanks again, guys, for doing yeah. this video because I think it's a really good thing. I, and it was nice to talk to you, Sarah. Yeah, you too. Thank you. He hung up. Oh, probably cut him off, didn't it? I don't know. Probably. You got you got finished though. Yeah. What he was saying. He's so articulate, isn't he? He is. Well, if you liked the show, and we both hope that you did, you can find more shows on our audio archive. You can visit our website. It's healthwise.org. Remember that wise is spelled W-Y-Z-E, which is to put emphasis on the wisdom. So again, that's healthwyze.org. On our top menu, there's a link to the audio archive, and there you'll find all of our shows that you can listen to from start to finish. We have a lot of them. You can also visit our online store or donate. We certainly appreciate it whenever you can. And there are ways that you can support us without giving us any money. You can tell your friends and family about us. We don't have a marketing staff. We really do rely on you to spread the word. You can list us in your email signature so that there's a link to us on every email that you send. You can link to us on your website or your blog. You can sign up to our mailing list and you can start discussions there. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are a lot of different ways that you can help out. We send out an email whenever we put out an article or we publish a new show. So if you want to be updated, that's a good way to get updated. Also, if anybody needs us, if you need to speak to us about any health issue or anything else, you can always go to the Contact Us page on our website and you can send us an email or you can call us. We do actually answer the phone. People are really shocked when they find out that we do, but we are actually here. We're human. Well, I guess that's about it, Thomas. Toodaloo. Bye.